message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, I was in the gym early this morning, and a lady had a t-shirt on, and uh, it said, coffee gets me started, Jesus keeps me going. I said, where'd you get that shirt? She said, your church? I bought it right outside. We have another one that says, coffee and Jesus. And so if you want to get one of those shirts, that's cool. Coffee gets me started and Jesus keeps me going. Isn't that about the way it is? You, you get started with caffeine and then uh, Jesus kicks in and you don't need caffeine from there on. Are, are you ready to hear God today? I will never understand for the life of me how God uses ordinary people to speak through. But he has some of your addresses today. He has your phone numbers. And he's going to say some things. And so be ready to receive it. Father God, bless us and anoint it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today as we sit here, we need to know that who we are, where we're at in life, the amount of success that we have or the lack of it has a whole lot to do with the decisions we have made. We are a product of those decisions. Generally speaking, if the good decisions have outnumbered the bad decisions, then probably our life is pretty good today. If the bad decisions have outnumbered the good decisions, then our life probably is not that great today because we are a product of our decisions. Change our decisions, and you'll change your destiny. Look at Psalms 128, 1 through 4. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. In my earlier years, I always wanted five things. I wanted a vibrant walk with God. I wanted a good marriage. I wanted good kids who loved God. I wanted a successful career and a healthy body. Now, for me, all five of those things have been a result of making biblically sound decisions. Today, you still have a lot of decisions to make. No matter where you're at in life, you still, as long as you're alive, you have a lot of decisions to make. And the way you make those decisions will affect your destiny. A divorce is going to have a lot to do with your destiny. You got to be very, very careful. Going back to school, you have that, that, that decision to make. So you can go back to school if you want, retrain, uh, eating healthy, uh, getting involved in the kingdom. If you go have an affair, or if you, 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 you get a DUI, that's going to change your life. If you decide to drink and drive, that decision can change your life. There are men in prison today who are not bad men who drank and, and drove. 
And that decision was a dumb, dumb decision. And we could go on and on and on. You know, our decisions are going to play out even in eternity. At the men's retreat, I did something, and I hope that it still sticks in men's minds, where I, I went out and I told them that we're saved by grace through faith. You're going to heaven, and you're, you know, that's a done deal if you're saved. But I said, the Bible seems to indicate that for believers even, there's going to be a judgment. It's called the beam of judgment seat. Now, that judgment seat has nothing to do with going to heaven or, or not, has nothing to do with your sins because your sins are all covered by Jesus. But that is a, a judgment seat where rewards are handed out in heaven, and rewards are really big because according to your faithfulness on earth, it determines what you're going to do for eternity. And, and, and that beam of judgment seat, if you read it in the Greek, it seems to indicate there will come a time when every one of us believers will stand before God and give a speech on how we lived our life on the earth, a speech. And that's for rewards or no rewards. And, 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 and so we should be able, so I had 10 men line up that didn't know what I was going to do. And I said, here's the microphone, God's waiting for the speech. And a lot of them failed it and some of them passed it. But I mean, God doesn't require much. If you just, at that moment, if you go up and say, God, you know what? I, I was faithful to church and every day I live like Pastor Ron said, I laid my life on the altar, and I prayed with people if I saw them at Walmart, or I, I called people and prayed with them, and, and Lord, I encouraged people with verses. He'd say, hey, job well done. You, you did your purpose, man. Or you know what? I, was, I went to church, and there I served as a, an usher for 25 years. God said, good job. Well done, sir. You're going to reward me. See, God wants to see who he can trust in the kingdom. He wants to know those that will get with this program. And it can be the smallest thing in the world, but, but the decisions we make now are going to carry over even into eternity. Decisions, I was reading this week, I was trying to see what text I was going to use. And you look at, at Joshua, and Joshua says, you know what, people? He said, you've got to make up your mind today. Do you want to serve the gods of your fathers, or do you want to serve God Jehovah? And he says, you've got to make up your mind, make a decision today. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God Jehovah. Amen. We're going to serve the Lord. And then Elijah did much the same thing on the Mount Carmel thing. He got the people together and he said, are you going to serve the gods of Baal? Or are you going to serve God Jehovah? He said, you've got to make that decision. Choose. And it says they were quiet. They didn't, they didn't say anything in response. Paul, you know, when Paul had a near-death experience, uh, you know, he must have heard some things he's not telling us. Because of Philippians, he says, you know what? There's a passage there where he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said, I'm hard-pressed on every direction, whether I should die and go to heaven, which would be much better for me, or if I should stay here in fruitful labor with you. And he said, I'm having a hard time deciding. It sounded like he had a choice. He said, finally, I choose to stay here with you. It's not the best decision. I'd much rather be in heaven. He'd already been there and back, so he, he knew what to expect. But he said, I'm going to stay here with you for fruitful labor for a little longer time. And I'm glad he made that decision because if he hadn't, we wouldn't have had 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. We wouldn't have those books in the Bible. But Paul made a decision, and he chose. Now, history is filled with stories, with cast, cat, catastrophic endings uh, because of bad decisions. Some of the stories are true. Some are myths, like the story of the Trojan horse. I would love to have known who the guy was. And when he saw this Trojan horse out, outside of the gates of, of, of Troy, uh, 
the dude who said, hey, rad, they left their Trojan horse. Bring it on in. Cool, man, cool. He didn't know inside that big wooden Trojan horse was about five or six dozen army guys that were going to destroy the city that night when everybody went to sleep. He didn't know that. The legend is that the Trojan War had been going on for a long time, and the Greek soldiers could not penetrate the city of Troy. So they came up with a slick plan. And they said, hey, we're going to act like we're retreating, and we leave our mascot. We leave it there. We forget it. In our haste, we leave our mascot. So when they get this Trojan horse, the mascot, and say, hey, cool, man. They left their mascot. Let's bring it in. Then at nighttime, we'll destroy that city from the inside out. And that's, according to the myth, that's what happened. Why? Bad decision. Somebody made a bad decision. What about the Mars CEO, Mars Candy CEO, who turned down the offer from e, the E.T. movie years back to let his M&Ms be, be broadcasted in the movie? The Mars CEO said, no, you know, I don't want my candy in, in a dumb little movie like that of a little boy and an alien puppet. And he said, no. Reese's Pieces, they said, oh, we'll do it. And their sales soared to 65% in June 1982 because somebody in Mars made a bad decision. Uh, about the CEO of Decca Recording Studio, who declined to sign the Beatles because he said, you know what, guys with long hair on guitars, that went out a long time ago. That just isn't going to fly. Dumb decision. Napoleon invading Russia. Somebody made a bad decision. And we could go on and on and on. Decisions make us or break us. And today, no matter where you're at in life, you have the, the ability to change your destiny if you start making some good decisions. Some of the best decisions I've made in life is to give my life totally radically to God. Number two was to marry Debbie. I almost missed marrying her because a lot of guys were, were starting to date her and I came along and I'm so glad that God gave me my wife. Uh, raising my kids in a radical Christ-centered home was one of the best decisions I ever made. And as a result, all my kids and grandkids are all in ministry. They're all involved. Number four, staying put in the ministry and not quitting is one of the best decisions I've ever made. Sometimes I don't think I've done a lot, a lot right in life, but one thing I guess by God's grace I did right is I stayed put. I didn't run. I didn't quit. Following God as he's graciously led me in my health decisions was a big, big decision. Now, all five of these things that, that I'm so blessed to have today were all re result of letting God help me make good decisions. And it, I give all the praise to God for the good decisions that he helped me make. Now, with the time left, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five keys to making better decisions. I'll give you six or seven or eight. Let's see how far we get to go. But here's the first key to making good decisions. And that is choose short-term pain in order to get long-term gain. You have to learn to delay gratification. I mean, for example, some people uh, get an education. They get their master's degree, their PhD. Now, there's a lot of pain in that. But you know what? It's going to present long-term gain for you in some areas of life. Others, you know, they put in the time to go learn a trade, to become a plumber or electrician or whatever. 
and maybe two or three years of their life they, they put into that effort. Some just do what I did. I didn't have a lot going for me, but I was willing to work 70 hours a week for almost 20, 30 years or 40. And I did that in order to try to have some success in my life. So what you need to do is you need to decide what you want in life and then be willing to put in the work. Uh, whether you want a good, healthy body, you want a good, healthy marriage, you want a successful ministry or successful career, you're going to have to pay a little bit. Uh, these 72-hour water fasts I do every other month, I told you before, they're so hard. Dieting is hard. Going past Taco Bell is a very hard thing. I'm down now to one time every two months. And boy, I feast. On two months, I take everything on the menu almost. Uh, working out, I hate it. Uh, all of this, it's not fun, but it's necessary if you want a healthy body. Going to school, two years in a trade program, none of that is fun. But you've got to learn to make decisions based on the long term, not just the here and now. I was looking at the, both the story of Joseph and David this week as I put this message together. And Joseph made three really good decisions. Number one is he decided to be loyal to his boss and not sleep with his knocked down gorgeous wife. And you know what? Probably no one would have ever known. But you know what? Joseph, he made a decision to be godly, to be a man of integrity, and it paid off in the long run. Joseph didn't complain about being in prison. When we read that story in Genesis, we don't know how long he was in prison. We know he was 17 years old when he was sold. He was 30 years old when he became a government official in, in the kingdom. And so he could have been in prison for four or five years. But when you see him in prison, what is he doing? He's not complaining. He's not singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But you know what? He was just ministering where he was at. He was blooming where he was at because that's what Joseph was about. Number three, he forgave his brothers when probably it would have been gratifying for him to get some payback, how they had treated him and given him away. But when he saw them and he was a leader in the country, he was very sympathetic to them. What I'm trying to say is, you know what? You can't look at the individual photo. You got to look at the photo album and see where it's leading to. So you got to think long term, not just the here and now. Number two, if you want to make good decisions, you got to take as much time as you can to make a good decision. Now, obviously, when you know it's God's will, you don't have to take any more time. You just do it. But until you know something is positively God's will, take as much time as you can to make important decisions. You can't just take a decision off the top of your head and say, I'm going to make it work. But take time. For example, during the area of the colonization in India, the British government was concerned about the number of venomous cobra snakes in Delhi. And so they come up with this idea off the top of their head, and they say, you know what? We're going to give a cash bounty, a cash reward for everyone who brings us a dead cobra. And at first, it started working really well until some very creative people in the kingdom got the idea, let's start raising cobras and breeding them, and we'll take them and get our reward. And all kinds of people start doing that. And so when the government found out, they had to scrap the program. And so when they scrapped the program, the breeders let all their snakes go, and the apparent solution made the problem worse. Now they had more cobras than ever. 
You've got, when you can, really think things through before you make important decisions. Look at Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and a shame to him. Look at Proverbs 18, 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes along and examines him. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. When I have to make important decisions, my wife will tell you, man, I really dig. I pray, I look, I research, I pray, I dig. For example, every time it comes around the season where I have to buy a new car or a different car, you know what I do? I go to Barnes & Noble, get a Consumer Reports magazine. And then I sit down and I take a piece of paper and I will draw down the middle and I'll take the five cars I'm most interested in. Then I'll, I'll write down looks and I'll give them a nine or an eight or a seven. And then I'll go miles per gallon, I'll grade them. Crash reports, horsepower, how comfortable they are, road noise, uh, depreciation that's expected on that car, opinions of previous owners. And I write all this down. I pray, I research, I pray, I research. Before I even buy a car, that's what I do. A house, the same way. If I have to buy a new home, I make the graph. And I'll take three or four homes I'm interested in or five. I'll look at the square footage. I'll write it down. I look at the neighborhood. I even look at the neighbors. My son taught me this years ago. He said, Dad, before you buy a house, go out and talk to the neighbors. See what kind of neighbors you have. Today, I got great neighbors, great neighbors. Uh, phone towers, I'll drive around the neighborhood and look within a quarter of a mile, make sure there's no phone towers close. The size of the lot, I look at the VOCs, what kind of flooring do they have in there? and all of that because I don't like VOCs, the amenities, the garage, the barn, or whatever. And then I'll, I'll grade them, and then I'll pray more until I come to a decision that I've chosen the best home for our family. And so you, you've got to put some work out. Don't be rash in your decisions. If God gives you time, really look at every angle, okay? I mean, the guys with the cobra effect, it, it, somebody should have been able to see. They're going to start breeding these snakes. I mean, that was pretty obvious that was going to happen but they made a rash decision. Number three, you need to base your decisions on core values. See, many decisions are already made for us based on our core values. I don't have to make a decision. I uh, have had uh, a, a, a guitar signed by Korn, which those guys are my friends, and uh, in my closet for about a year, and it's bugging the daylights out of me. What happened is, our school, when they were here, they had a fundraiser event, a charity event, and the guys from Corn donated a, a signed guitar, and they donated it to uh, the charity event so they could auction it off. Well, someone bought it and then gave it back to us. And so I put it in my room, and for a year I was looking at that guitar going, oh, this is convicting me. This is not my guitar. What's it here for? My core values is integrity, a man of God. So I called Jonathan Davis. I said, Jonathan, I got this corn guitar sign here. What do you want to do with it? He said, Ron, donate it to somebody who plays the guitar because that baby needs to be played, Ron. And I said, okay, Jonathan. That was six months ago or seven. And so I've been praying and praying and praying over it. And uh, I would like to have the guitar myself. I really thought, man, I'd love to have that because they're my friends and I'd, love to, you know, I, I'd like to have it. But I knew I couldn't. And so I was in the gym the last few weeks. I saw this guy working out and he's got corn shirts on and he has corn tattooed all over his arms. And so I was in there yesterday morning early at six in the morning. And I said, hey, dude, you don't play guitar by any chance, do you? He said, yeah. 
I said, I got a gift for you. I'm going to bring it. He said, man, I got chill. I got corn all over me, man. I said, I'm going to bring you the guitar and give it to you. Well, even though I would have liked to have the guitar, it would have been nice. It wasn't mine. See, again, many of your decisions are already made for us because of our core values. Uh, join a group that travels on Sundays. We want you to join this group. I can't because my, my decision's already been made in that area. Look at Hebrew, Hebrews 10, 25 in the Amplified. Don't forsake or neglect to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonish, warning, urging, and encouraging one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. It says, man, as we get into the later days, people are going to get discouraged more and more. They got to come to be encouraged. And so, you know, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't join a club that's going to travel every Sunday because of my core values. That decision's already made for me. You know, in one of our podcasts, I was talking about Elon Musk and how that he keeps warning everybody about AIs. He said, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. He said, it, it's a chance that these things can get out of control. And I went on one of his sites and he said, it's more than a 0% chance that these AIs will kill all of us one day or kill a lot of us anyway. And I heard him say that and I thought, Elon, I'd like to have a conversation with you because that's not just a hunch of yours, that's a reality. It's a reality. I was reading the other day in, in Revelation, and, 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 and so you don't get overly frightened, this is after we're gone. This is near the end, after we're gone. It says that there, there will be made an image of the beast, an image, and that image will be given the power to even talk, and that image will order people to be killed that don't worship the beast. And that's an image. And I said, could that be an AI? Whoa, that's, see, to me, God looks forward. And I believe we're close to, to the coming of the Lord. And he says, here's what's going to be happening in that day and age. And I think he spoke of an AI there. I really do. And so, as we see all this stuff come down, and we'll scare you on the broadcast sometimes because we talk about stuff we don't talk about in the pulpit. But I'm here to tell you, it says as the day gets closer and closer to the end, all of this crap all is going to be happening. People are going to need encouragement, man. They're going to need to be built up. So you have to make a decision that I'm going to be faithful to church. Uh, again, your, 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 your decisions are usually already made by your core values. Date a non-believer. Absolutely not. Did you know that, people? You should never date a non-believer. Uh, because the Bible has verses on that. You say, well, I'm not going to marry. I'm just going to date him. No, sometimes dating leads to marriage. And you got to be careful. You don't go into business with him. Look at Amos 3.3. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And Paul said, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. What I'm trying to say is a lot of our decisions are already made by our core values. As Christians, it's pretty, some of our decisions are pretty easy. They're, they're cut and dried. Joseph had core values as I looked at his life this week. And David, for the most part, outside of Bathsheba, David was strong with core values. Now, both, I, I, looked, I looked today, this, this week, and I said, I want to see if there's any common traits between David and Joseph, because they were both men of God. And number one was they were, they, they were loyal and submitted to those over them in the Lord. For example, David, you know, Saul was chasing him, trying to kill him. But even then, David was still submitted to the Word of God. And the Word of God said, you are to submit to your elders, your leaders, your kings. I put them in place. And David had two chances to kill Saul, and he wouldn't do it. And I think if, 
if I can kind of put words in David's mouth, he probably would have said to Saul, you know, you're still over me, buddy. You're still over me. God still has you as king. I'm not. So I'm still under you. And you know what? I will not touch you until God removes you. God's got to do it. What a great attitude. Joseph would probably say to his boss, sir, you trusted me with everything that you own, and I'm not going to sleep with your wife. I'm not going to betray you. I just won't do that because of my integrity. Their stick to itiveness, both of them had stick to itiveness. They didn't know how to quit. Once they laid their hands on the plow, they did not give up. They didn't know how to quit. I know in a year and a half, we're going to have a big celebration here, if you'll allow me to, because I, it'll mean I've been here 50 years from start. And uh, uh, if I can get somebody to raise the money, because we can't take it out of your ties, but I would love to have a huge fireworks show out here on a summer evening and, and just rejoice 50 years of ministry we've had in the same place. Uh, both, both Joseph and David knew their purpose in life. They had been divinely revealed their purpose. I mean, Joseph already knew divinely he was supposed to be a leader somewhere, and David knew he was supposed to be king of Israel. You say, well, Ron, I don't know my purpose. Well, you know what? Start praying and asking God specifically to show you your purpose, and then start where you're at. Just start doing something. Again, I told you, you know how I got up here? I just started volunteering a little church back here in Potomac. I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'm fully in. I'm fully in. I've, I've, I'll do anything you tell me to do. And I did. I, I washed the church bus, and I had five youth that I oversaw, and I did the church lawns, everything, and it led to here. It led to here. You just have to get the train on the track, okay? Uh, you want to make good decisions? Here's number four. Don't make decisions based on your emotions. I've heard someone say, don't cut a tree down in the winter because all trees look dead in the winter season. All of them do. See, we as, as Christians and as human beings, we go through winter seasons. Sometimes we go through seasons where we're depressed for a while. We go through seasons where we're hurt and rejected. We go through seasons where we experience defeats. We go through seasons where we go through bouts of loneliness. But when you're in those seasons, do not make decisions Big decisions during those seasons. You wait till you get out of the season. I'm a big UFC fan. Pray for me if you want. That's cool. You can do that. I'm a sports fan, period. College football, NFL, Major League Baseball, UFC. But on the UFC, very often I'll see a guy come out, and he's been a champion maybe for years, and he gets beat pretty bad in the bout. And later, as soon as the bout's over, he throws his gloves down. I am now retiring. I say, oh, no, no, don't do that. No, no, this is not the time to retire. Dude, go home and sleep on it for two or three weeks. And the majority of them, or many of them, they throw their gloves. I am now retiring. I hate to tell you. And they're crying. In a year, they're fighting again, you know. Uh, they, they shouldn't have made that decision in that season of their life. But you notice champion, real, 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 real champion type guys, they say, man, I've been, I might have been beat tonight, but you know what? I'll be back. You just watch and see. That's the attitude we want to have. Saying right now, I'm not making decisions. I'm in one of those seasons. Uh, sometimes people make rash decisions. They go, I'm going to buy a house off the grid. Why? I'm just not going to be around people anymore. Had a guy on the internet, a young guy, oh, it was a few years back, and I didn't get along with this guy at all, but I did see his posting. I'm through with women. I will never date again. I'm through with women. Well, 
Six months later, he was dating again, you know, going through a season. People marry on the rebounds. Guys, listen to me. We should make it a rule. If you go through a divorce, it should be at least a year and a half or two to three or four years before you get in another relationship. You need to get healed. I mean, people make the stupidest mistakes. They're in that season of loneliness, and they go out and grab the, the, the first Megillah gorilla they see, man. And they get married, and then they're back here, I have marriage problems. Well, why don't you have marriage? We told you not to do that. You know how many people I've told them, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. They do it, and they come back. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is a bad marriage. Well, what did you expect? You married on the rebounds. I got a word for someone today. Wait. Wait. Don't get in a rush. You're not going to age overnight, okay? Don't get in a rush. Suicide. Many attempt and achieve taking their life in a winter season. If they had just waited the season out. They did statistics a while back, and I read it somewhere, that a large percentage of people who consider suicide, if they can just get through that season, they'll never think about it again. But they have to get through that season. And I read a story this week that should really kind of wake all of us up. A lady said she was on a bridge, and she said, I stepped out, and I was just fixing to jump because I thought nobody cared for me, nobody. A car drove by. Somebody rolled down the window and says, don't do it, don't do it. She said, that's all I needed. I thought, somebody cares. She said, that was enough to push me back. I mean, you think that guy that rolled out his window and shouted that ever knew that what he shouted saved that young lady's life? We just sometimes have to get through certain seasons without making big, dumb decisions, okay? So you got to, hopefully after this, you'll go through something. You say, Pastor Ron said, I'm in a season right now. No time for making decisions. Just sit on it a while. Pray and wait. Look at Proverbs 29, 11. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into without walls, is a man who has no control over his spirit. Number five, if you want to make good decisions, don't procrastinate once you know you have to make a decision. You know, when I know I have to make a decision on something, I find it helpful sometimes to set a date on the calendar and say, by Friday, uh, September 22nd or 29th, I'm going to make my decision. And so now I have a few days to start praying. I know I have. It's D-Day. Now, I say take as much time as you can, but sometimes there is due dates. There's days we have to make a decision by. See, there's some people that just won't make decisions, period. You go to them and say, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I don't know. I think this way, and tomorrow I think that way. I don't know. You see them six months later. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm still thinking about it, still praying about it. One year later, still praying about it, Pastor. I don't know. See, to, 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 to not make a decision is really to make a decision. And some of you, you have to be so good. Ronald Reagan's story. They said that his aunt took him to a cobbler to get a pair of new shoes when he was a young man. And so the cobbler came out and said, okay, buddy, do you want your shoes to have pointed toes or rounded toes? 
He said, I don't know. I have to think about that. So some weeks went by, and the cobbler saw him out in the marketplace and said, well, you know what? Your shoes are ready. He said, they're ready? He said, yeah. He went in, and the cobbler brought out two shoes. One had a pointed toe, and one had a rounded toe. He said, what? What are you doing? He said, I'm trying to teach you a lesson that when you refuse to make a decision, someone's going to make it for you. And I don't think he actually gave him those shoes, but it was a good lesson, a great lesson for Ronald Reagan. Now, some people just put off decision-making. They want other people to make it for them. Well, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What do you think I should do? Which leads me to my next point. Don't let the fear of rejection keep you from making decisions. See, I told you I was paralyzed in life. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't ask a girl out on a date. It was so hard for me in high school because I didn't want to be rejected. I had to know that girl liked me first, and then I would ask her out. Some of you are still like that. You, you may be single guys here in the church. You say, man, I just, I just you know, I, I can't ask somebody out because I just know they're going to reject me, and I have a fear of rejection. Uh, telling a girlfriend or boyfriend that you're living with, say, you know what? Either put a ring on my finger or I'm walking. I'm walking because this isn't right the way we're living. But a lot of you are fearful of rejection. Well, if I do, he'll leave me. You might want him to leave you. If he's not going to marry you, you might want him to leave you because he could just be using you. I remember years ago, I got in the same kind of tirade I'm doing now. And there was a professional couple in the church. They were living together. One was a doctor, one was a lawyer or something. And it was their first day at our church. And I, I went off on this kind of thing like I'm doing now going, man, if you won't put a ring on the finger, man, you better, you better start thinking twice. And he said, my first day there, and when you started off on this, this whole thing, I said, oh, crap, why did I choose to come to this church today? Man, of all places, I had to come to this one. And I saw that you really had her interest. She was watching. When I went home, she took her suitcase out and started packing. I said, Pastor Ron said, if you love me, you'll put a ring on that finger. And he said, man, I hated you that day. But then he came and gave his life to God too, and they both got right. At least that's what I was told. And that was years ago, and they might even still go here today. I don't know. But we, we, we got to be careful with the fear of rejection. Years ago, I talked about TED Talks. Gia Jane. He was a man that was given a, a, a talk on TED Talks, and he says, what I learned from 100 days of rejection. As a child, this man had experienced a lot of rejection, and it went on to affect him in his adult life. It was paralyzing him from making decisions because he was so fearful of rejection. So he found a site on the internet called rejectiontherapy.com. And on there it says, for 30 days, he made it 100 days, but it says for 30 days, you're supposed to go out and seek rejection until you can desensitize yourself from the pain. And once you do, then you pass this course. So that's what he did. He said, I set out 100 days of seeking out rejection. So the first day he went out, and he said, I got a goal here. I want to get healed of this. And he went to a stranger in the marketplace. I think it was a security guard. And he says, sir, can I borrow $100 from you? And the guy goes, no. Why would you want to do that? And he said, I got scared and ran. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I shouldn't ask you. I'm sorry. And I flunked the test. He said, next time, my goal is not to run. So he went out to a burger joint, one at Burger King or I don't know, wherever, Carl's Jr. And after he got through eating, he went up and says, can I get a burger refill? 
And they just stared at him. He said, we don't do burger refills. He says, you don't? Well, if you did, he said, I'd start coming here more often. And the guys, well, I'll ask my manager, but as far as I know, we don't think we do those. And he says, I passed the test. I stayed. I didn't run. So the next day or so, he went into Krispy Kremes and said, I want to order uh, uh, some Olympic donuts. He said, what's Olympic donuts? He said, you know, the five on a, on, a, on a ring, you know, five circles. And he said, believe it or not, he said, I think I can do that. He said, man, I'm really gaining ground now. And a few minutes later, they came out with Olympic donuts. They had five in a ring. And I thought, man, you know, I'm, I'm getting this idea. I'm getting it now. Then the next time around, he went and knocked on people's doors. And he had a plant in a vase. He said, uh, can I plant this flower in your backyard? And the first guy said, no, I don't think so. He's going to ask you why. See, he's really taking it to the next level now. Why can't I? He said, I thought he was going to say, because you're an idiot, and I'm, you're crazy, and I don't want you in my backyard. He said, no. The guy said, he said, why? And he says, oh, because my dog would just dig it up. But you know what? Connie across the street, she loves flowers. He said, now I'm getting referrals. I'm really getting good at this, man. <laughs> and he went over to Connie. Connie said, oh, yeah, I love it. Come in my backyard. Let's plant that flower. And he says, now I'm on it. Then he goes to Starbucks, and he went to talk to the manager, and he says, can I be a Starbucks greeter today? Starbucks greeter? Yeah, like a Walmart greeter. You know those guys who, who say they're glad you came, but really they're just looking for people stealing stuff? <laughs> he said, one of those guys. And he's, let me ask the manager. And he said, yeah, why not? Just don't get weird on us. Go ahead. So the next two hours, he was a Starbucks greeter. And he went on and on until he started getting desensitized to the possibility of rejection. And he said it near the end of his speech. He said, you know, I kept reminding myself that people who were world changers never let rejection stop them. Never. And he mentioned Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, even Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ experienced rejection, but he didn't let it stop him. So don't let the fear of rejection keep you from stepping out and making decisions. When I started this church, it was called Outreach for Christ with 10 teenagers. You know what? A lot of people were laughing at me. In those days, back in, you know, 1970s, I mean, no one started churches. That's the craziest idea ever. My own family even kind of rejected me. They never came to my church. They just said, Ronnie's kind of lost it. He's starting a church. He thinks he can just go out and start one, you know, and I did. And, but I didn't have the fear of rejection, so I did. Sometimes when I preach sermons, I realize you're not going to like them. But you know what? If you reject me, I'm sorry. I love you, but it is what it is. I'm going I'm to do what he wants me to do, not what you want me to do. And so a lot of decisions I make, I'm going to get people to reject me. But you know what? I can't live with the fear of rejection. And then the next one is you got to seek counsel from the right people. I mean, you know, if I have a financial problem, whatever, Mike Magger is one of my best friends, CPA. I call him. He lives on the coast now. I call him and say, Mike, I need some help here. If I have a law problem, I call one of the attorneys in church. If I have a medical problem, I call one of the doctors in church. And I say, man, you've got to help me. If I have common sense problems, i got two or three buddies in this church. They're the most common sense people you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they just know. And so before you make big decisions, Go, go get counsel from people that, that maybe are a little smarter than you in this one area of life. 
Uh, very often I tell people, if you, you, can't make for de- you can't make decisions for people who are closer to the action than you. Very often a staff person will come to me, they'll say, Pastor Ron, I need your wisdom how I make this decision. And I'll say, no, no, you're closer to the action than me. You're going to have to make it. Because when you're close to the action, you see people's hearts. And I'm not qualified from that far back to help you with that decision. Then the last one we're going to talk about, we're going to go home. And this is the biggie, the biggie. Utilize the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is bigger than all of them combined. Can I tell you, it's so easy to walk with God. So easy. And all it requires is holiness. If you're not holy, if you're living in sin, the Bible states plainly that your sin separates you from God's fellowship. But if you're living holy, not perfectly, I mean not perfectly at all because I flipped somebody off the other day, so I'm not perfect. (laughs) You say you're kidding. I'm not kidding. I couldn't believe what happened to me. I told the men in the ministry, I mean really honest, it's like an out-of-body thing. I I can't believe it. I have never flipped anybody off my entire life. And I was over at the coast, and we were getting on an on-ramp, and the sun was in my eyes, and I was really heated up about something that, that day. And, and I'm getting on the off-ramp, and this dude, I guess I was speeding up instead of slowing down to pick him up. He was just standing there with his finger up. I said, what? I, I got one too, you know what I mean? Here, right here. And I honestly didn't know what I did. It was, it was I can't believe I did it. And my wife said, what did you just do? I said, in Jesus' name. He grabbed a brick and started chasing my car. He tried to hit my car. And no joke, I grieved the rest of the day. I thought, for the first time in your life, you flipped somebody off. I, Andy was beyond, I didn't know I did it until after I did it. That's kind of scary. It just got the moment, got the best of me. I thought, what well, if it's a candid camera or something? Somebody got me, you know, there's Pastor Ron, you know. Uh, I promised my wife, I said, I will never do that again. That felt, that felt yucky. And it kind of felt good too, though, in a way too. But, uh, <laughs> I know some of you said, I cannot believe, oh, come on, you're no saint. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your mind what you were thinking last night on TV. You know, we, we come on. I, I don't preach Ron Vietti. I preach Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's who I preach. And... Don't write me because I'm not going to listen to you. I repented. I was sorry for it, and I'll never do it again. And so if you don't like that, then uh, find another church. Uh, So it's so simple to walk with God. So simple. Look at these verses. I love this verse, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you to will. God is always working to will and work for his good pleasure. That word will, I went over it with you before. Constantly, 24-7, it is God in you that's making you prefer one thing over another. It's God in you that's making you like one thing a little more than another. That's what that word means in the Greek. It's God in you that made you want to come to church today. You didn't want to come on your own. It's God in you. He's working all the time, putting desires in our heart. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll disclose to you what is to come. God's always, Jesus looking to the Father and then relaying the messages to us. In fact, the Bible says God won't do anything without revealing it to his prophets first. 
And I don't know if I qualify as a prophet, but the Lord's coming back. He's told me. And it's not long, guys. It's not long. Again, I already said that, but, you know, when you go back and read about the Tower of Babel, it was during a time when society got together and they said, you know what? We're going to make a, a staircase tower to heaven. In other words, what they were saying is, we don't need God anymore. We're going to be our own God. And you know what God's response was to that? He said, you know what? There's nothing they can't do now. We're going to have to go down and stop it. Right now, we're cloning babies. We're able to do everything. We are in the same exact place the Tower of Babel was at, and God's going to come down. And he's going to stop it. And we're getting near that time. He's going to come down, and He's going to stop it. So I'm telling you, I love walking with God. I've been praying over my wrist. Worst carpal tunnel, the surge of male ace that he's seen in a year. And I've been praying that God will heal it. So far, I haven't heard anything. So I've got surgery scheduled in the middle of October. Does that bother me? Not at all. See, can I tell you something? God is not irresponsible with his miracles. He's not. Now, when I say miracles, I'm talking about stuff that happens. Every once in a while, we'll see a miracle where God will make a cancer fall off somebody's face. Or God will take something and you'll, you'll go to bed with an injury and wake up and it's gone. Now, God does work in another way in all of our lives. That is, when we get cancer, heart disease, or we go through a divorce or loss of finances, His Spirit guides us in truth. That's just normal. He'll guide you to make right decisions to get all that fixed. He'll tell you what medicine to take, what not. But a miracle is a miracle. Now, I realize between now and surgery date, that thing will be totally healed. But I say God's not irresponsible with miracles. Do you understand? Some people think that God is going to, when I get, I'm a Christian, so if I get sick, God's going to heal me. If I get heart problems, God's going to divinely heal me. If I go through a divorce, God's going to divinely make it right on. No, no, God can't do that all the time. Because if every time a Christian got heart disease or cancer or whatever, if every time God healed them miraculously, then they have to do it for every Christian on the face of the earth. And if he started doing that, people would become Christians for the wrong reason. And God, you'd have God in a box. God said, I can't always intervene. But he has verses like Psalm says, you, you show me one of my children who is, who's doing my will on the, on the earth. And man, they're helping the poor. They're helping the homeless. They're going out every day and giving their life and praying with people. He said, those people, I'll raise them off their sickbed and I'll keep them from dying. But isn't that what a good employee does? You got a good employee, employer, I mean. You got a good employee, you try to preserve that person. But I see people bargain with God. They go through something bad. They say, okay, God, I'm going to start serving you today. It's too late. You should have been doing it before that. You can't wait till the moment. And so God can do miracles. He might heal my wrist before the 23rd of October. But if he doesn't, I'll go have surgery. No big deal. It's a minor surgery. And so it's so fun to me to serve God because you never know what he's going to do. Everyone's always been aligned. Oh, did you heal it yet? Oh, it's feeling pretty doggone good. Maybe I got a miracle here. It's just fun serving God. And so I'm going to end, and I'm going to close my book right now with this, this illustration. It's so important that we learn to listen to God's voice. He talks to every one of us. If you're in sin, known sin, then probably he's not talking. You got to get that corrected first. Not perfection, right? That's why I gave you my little thing that I did. Nobody's perfect. We all fail, but when we do, 
we ask God to forgive us, right? Do you know what we do? I fail God every week. And immediately I repent and confess my sin. And I move on. But if you're, if you're at a place today where you have no knowing sin in your life, you're not doing pornography, sleeping around, doing drugs, getting drunk, God's talking to you every day. And I tell people, you want to know for sure if something's God's will? Just spend about 10 days praying over it. And like Philippians says, your heart will start being inclined toward God's will. And the stuff that isn't God's will, your heart will start getting hardened. It's a sure-proof system. I, I looked at, I was going to play a video today, and I really couldn't prove the, the, the uh, you know, the legitimacy of it. But I went back this week and looked at three different articles about people who were on planes where the, something happened to the pilot, and in two of those situations, the person given the story had to fly the plane because the pilot had a heart attack or passed out or whatever. And I saw a common denominator in these two stories. And that is basically in the one, the guy went up to the cockpit and the pilot had had a heart attack or was passed out. He told his buddy, grab the, uh, what do you call it there, and start mayday, mayday, mayday. And so he grabbed the intercom, thank you. And he started saying, mayday, mayday, mayday. And finally they said, what's going on? Who is this? Do you have any etiquette at all? He said, oh, we, don't have any, we don't even know what we're doing. Our pilot's down and our plane's about to crash probably sooner or later. And the guy finally said, this is ground control. We got you, man, we got you, okay? He said, but listen to me, this is ground control. And if we're going to land this plane, you got to make a decision right now. Listen to my voice. Don't look around. Don't look at the clouds. Don't try to look down at the ground. Just do one thing. Listen to my voice and do everything I tell you to do. Pretty soon, he says, some of the bigger airlines in the area was also piping in. And they're saying, hey, we're praying for you, buddy. We're here praying for you. And they all repeated the same thing. Just listen to the voice. Listen to what everything that man tells you. That man said, I'm here. My job is to land you safely. That's my job. But you got to listen to me. I think that's a beautiful illustration today. God said, it's my job as, as your Father, Heavenly Father, to make sure you have a safe landing. But Mary, Joe, Jose, Rico, Juan, Tara, you got to listen to me. you got to put everything else out of your mind and listen to my voice if we're going to land this thing safely. And so I don't know where you're at in life today, but God is talking to you all the time. You just don't know it's God. And as you pray, that voice will get stronger and stronger. Listen to Him. Use some of the, the key principles I gave you today. And, and you'll start making wiser decisions and your destiny will look a whole lot different than it does today. Father God, I thank you today, Lord, that we have once again planted the seeds of the message you've given us. And so today, let us go out there and realize that when we start making different decisions, our life will start taking a different road. Some of us here today, Lord, 
need to make the decision to start being healthier. If not, we're going to knock 10 years off our life, maybe 15. We've got to start getting healthier. Some of us need to start treating our spouses differently, our kids differently. You're speaking to us in all kinds of ways. Help us to go home and start making different decisions, better decisions by taking some of these principles. If you're here today, you've never given your life to God. We had several in the first service. You've never been born again. You've never received the Lord as your Savior. Would you lift your hand wherever you're at? Very boldly and shame and say, Pastor Ron, I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I need to give my life to God. Would you raise your hand up? Raise it up high. High. Just raise it up. Yes, God bless you in the back. Raise it up. Come on. I see hands. Yes, over here. God bless you. Uh, God will see them if, even if I don't. Raise your hand up. Say, I want to give my life to God today. Way back at the table. We see that. Way back at the table on my right. Uh, even if you didn't raise your hand, let's all pray together and say, Lord God, I give you my life today. Send the Holy Spirit. Come and live inside of me and give me the strength I need to start serving you. Today, I'm now yours. Let the journey begin. In Jesus' name, amen. Kind of long today, huh? But you okay? I'll see you here, there, in the air. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King.